Hey, y'all. It's Danielle. And welcome to episode 38 of Ain't No Free Lunch. This week, Tykeen and I talk about all of the hullabaloo that just came down from the Supreme Court of the United States. SCOTUS! I'm excited! From decisions about native territory to birth control to you know I always have things to say about Clarence Thomas, we break it all down. So glad you're joining us. All right, y'all. Let's eat. We love. <laughs> I feel like that's become the pattern. Like you start us off and then I chuckle because it's funny every time. But I'm consistent. You are consistent. Consistently terrible. Welcome to episode 38 of Ain't No Free Lunch. We getting up there in age, right? With the episodes, with the consistency. We cute. Cranking it out. You know? I, on the way over here, was actually listening to episode 37, and I'm so glad that we talked to uh, Asia and Corey, those Gen Zers. They just gave me so much life, so much energy. You know what I mean? You know, I think it's important for us to be consistent with that as well, like amplifying their voices Mm -hmm. because they're doing a lot of this work. I believe the children are future. (laughs) For everyone that had to that had to bear that, I apologize for Danielle. On behalf Whitney, of I was channeling Whitney. Don't be disrespectful. You know what I'm saying? And I, I miss Whitney. Oh, we all do. We all do. Nobody else will ever see the Star Spangled Banner like that. Oh my gosh, chills to this day. If you've never seen it, please, please, please get on your YouTube's, get on Al Gore's interwebs, and type in Whitney Houston 1991 Super Bowl. And there won't no lip syncing either, right? Like, <laughs> my goodness. She's, yeah, we, we, I don't and that, know. And that Speechless. windbreaker, I'm going to give me a windbreaker, y'all. You know, Melissa, you know, dab a little bit in there. Dab a little bit so that people can hear it. Wishes granted. Long live Johnny. You know, but and you know, you can sing when your mouth moving while you singing, like, <laughs> like vibrations. Y'all gonna tell me that I'm gonna give me a windbreaker. Yeah, it's over. Game over. Neon colors, too. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be bright. shades, hat backwards. I support it. Wesley Snipes, white man can't jump. You probably never seen that movie. I have. Thank you. Moving on. Moving on. Today, we are talking about the Supreme Court of the United States, affectionately known as SCOTUS. This is one of my, like, deep passions is the Supreme Court of the United States. I, again, everybody knows I say it like every episode. I was a history teacher. But I am super... 
Let the people know. We get new listeners every week, okay? That's what the numbers show me. But I am so fascinated by the Supreme Court. I even went, like, Coop, you remember I traveled to D.C. for, like, a week when I was teaching to have, like, basically the history teacher sleepaway camp <laughs> where we studied the Supreme Court for a whole week. And it was amazing. I met Elena Kagan. I got to sit in on the decision for McConnell. Wasn't that his name? McDonald. Who was our governor? Bob McDonald. Okay, thank you. Wow. (laughs) I got to sit in on that decision. A history teacher, y'all. I know, I know. Anyway, but I listened to all the podcasts, watched all the shows, super fascinated about the Supreme Court. But yesterday was July the 9th, and that was the last day of the SCOTUS decisions for this year. And normally, they don't get pushed back this far, but due to COVID, they had to kind of like, you know, do what everybody else does and kind of figure a whole bunch of things out. They pushed their oral arguments back. They started having those virtually, which was the first time that it ever happened. But as of, I believe today, today is the first day that the Supreme Court justices are in their summer recesses. And we have had a hell of a wild ride this year. Oh, yeah. So this was Justice Kavanaugh's first term on the bench. Excuse me. No. Was it? Was it not no, his first this term? This was his bench? second term because that was October 2018. Oh, yeah, wow. So this was his second term. Wow. And this was Justice Gorsuch's third term. Third term. And of course, both of those are Trump appointees. And I don't know if you remember, but Gorsuch was appointed, what, in 2017? Yeah, almost immediately after the election. Yeah, because Scalia passed. I remember. In 2016. I was on a hike. And. Mitch McConnell refused to have a hearing for Merrick Garland. Right. He said, let the people decide. Right. Because you shouldn't. He said we shouldn't fill seats in an election year. Which is debatable. But they also, even if though it was an election year, it was, ooh, he was up. They just left him hanging there. Yeah, like for, for like nine months. Literally. It was. And they never had a hearing. Never. Never ever. He refused to bring it to the table. So, but but let's not for let's not forget. Merrick Garland, your seat was stolen. I'm sorry. But Democrats did the same thing. I didn't say it was. It I'm was just okay. no, but I'm just saying like it's important for our listeners to know. Oh that right, right, right. You're Democrats right. did the same thing. What was that? Ninety two. It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. But I don't care. Yeah, I mean, the past is in the past. Accountability is, is accountability, right? I mean, I understand that. I just feel like Merrick Garland, and the thing about it was like. Obama picked Garland for the express purpose of him being the most middle of the road. He was a safe pick. He was a safe—it wasn't like he picked this, like, far-left liberal. He literally went right down the middle with Garland. He was going to be a wild card on every—almost every decision that he made. And Kavanaugh was appointed after uh, Justice Kennedy. Kennedy retired. And you remember, there was a lot of hoopla about was that was there some quid pro quo there? Because this was during the height of the Mueller investigation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kennedy's son had a relationship with, was it the Chinese banking? I don't remember. It was so long ago. It was one of those banks that that Trump has had a questionable relationship with, with a lot where a lot of people wonder if we we'll talk about this a little bit later. If we'll ever get any details about that relationship now. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, of course, Kennedy was appointed by a Republican president. 
and he kind of became he served as the moderate voice and he was a swing vote. Yeah, he was the swing vote. I mean, but media would tell you like, oh my goodness, like the core that stacked with the Republicans now and. I mean, it was 5-4 before Kennedy retired. Right. It was 5-4, but there was also this, like, Kennedy was still kind of a, like, will he, won't he, maybe. And so he was I, swingier I, than most. And so I hate to be that person, mm-hmm. but I told you when Kennedy retired, I said, the Chief Justice, Roberts, yeah. would become the swing voter. Because he believes in the institution itself, and I thought that... Because of some of the comments that Trump was making about these are my justices and the things that they're going to do, I knew that that would push Roberts a little bit more to the middle because he wants to protect the institution and he wants to ensure that it's a system of checks and balances. I mean, he's been doing serious battle since Trump has come into office, right? Like he's been battling with Democrats. He's been battling with Republicans. Roberts. Like you said, he believes in the institution of the Supreme Court. And I think that his primary goal is to maintain the image of the Supreme Court as this unbiased, apolitical arm of the United States government, right? That third branch that is truly a branch, right? Only connected through the Constitution, which is really interesting to me because we all know that the SCOTUS, it's like SCOTUS is not apolitical. It is not impartial. It hasn't been for years, but I do understand like trying to maintain this at least image that the people can kind of support where the court's decisions will not be based off of who is the president. The court's decisions, because it is a le- you, they get elected for a lifetime, are based on the Constitution and not necessarily what president has been elected for that year. So he's been going to battle trying to work on that impartiality. So I think in an effort to maintain the court's impartiality, he did exactly what you said. Is He, he swung to the middle. And... Uh, I don't like giving Roberts credit. Like, why not? Why not? Talk about it. Because the man is a conservative. Like, when he first came out of school, I think Harvard. No one's surprised, but when he first came out of law school, he was like the conservatives' conservative. And from what I remember, I mean, the conservatives' conservative when when you were born is different than oh yeah, it's it is fundamentally different now. You're right, but this is the same man who I believe wrote the opinion, as in he was on the the side that was in the affirmative that completely gutted the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Section 4. Like, like yes, completely gutted it. Roberts, I believe, in his opinion, I remember rereading it in a fantastic book by Rosenstein called The Color of Law, which you should really read if you're interested in like redlining, um, reparations, that sort of thing. Roberts basically says that he doesn't think racism exists anymore. And so we don't need to hold... I guess, uh, communities, particularly communities in the South or states in the South to the standards of or like have the opinion that they're not going to be actively moving towards helping people vote like they're there is they're, they're not going to have voter suppression. Right. Which is really interesting because didn't we talk about like kind of offline that in Kentucky, 60,000 people had to use one polling place? No. 
616,000 people. Okay, so not 60,000, 616,000 people had to use one polling place in Kentucky. And I'm not talking about like this happened like five years ago when the Voting Rights Act got gutted. No, this happened like two weeks ago. Yes. So, yes, what happened? There was a Democratic primary in Kentucky and Kentucky historically has about... 3,500 mm-hmm. or 3,700, mm-hmm. I think it's 3,700 precincts open on the right. typical primary totally. election day. They were down to 200. So <laughs> they removed 3,500 precincts mm-hmm. and they were down to 200. And of course, there were a number of concerns and takes about this, but there were 616,000 registered voters who voted in Jefferson County. Mm-hmm. And 46% of all black voters in Kentucky are in Jefferson County. But voter suppression doesn't exist. So this was, and Booker is from Jefferson County. Mm -hmm. And so this decision disproportionately disenfranchised black voters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I tweeted about this, that any other Department of Justice would be all over this. Oh, absolutely. But of course, this one won't. And the other piece about this is they did this in the vein of public safety Mm -hmm. and health because of the pandemic. And my comments were it was a little bit late to try to develop vote by mail strategy. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about y'all, but my mail has been super slow. I got super slow. I got a piece of mail in June that was postmarked. In February. Oh, wow. That's 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 way slower than mine. <laughs> and not to mention, and so like this notion of people can just mail in their ballots. Don't forget in Kentucky on that primary day, they closed the. Mm-hmm. the they had to reopen they them. They closed the precinct. People were beating on the windows. Then they opened them and then they closed them again. It was just a mess. Um, and like maybe we'll talk about this later, but I'm. Extremely concerned about this notion of we're just going to vote by mail Uh because I can tell you older black voters in rural Virginia and rural America are adamantly opposed. Like they want to see their ballot counted. Mm -hmm. They don't trust the system. They don't trust the system. And so like someone was on Twitter was like, well, that's absurd. And I said, well, think about this. Like they didn't have this is the same generation. A lot of them didn't have the right to vote. And then they had to deal with literacy tests and poll taxes. And so now all of a sudden we're just going to believe, oh, they're going to open like everybody wants me to vote. Like, no, that's not the case. Yeah. But we in part, I mean, this takes us back to John Roberts, right? He is the chief justice of the Supreme Court. He is the person who I believe uh, this is why we need a fact checker um, wrote the decision that basically gutted. Uh, section four. It, not basically, it got it, it completely. Four. It's it's a it's a non-existent or non-existent. Not, it has no teeth. Like the the act has no teeth anymore. And so that's the man that we now look to as our swing vote. And I really believe that the swing votes that we've seen, because honestly, he has surprised me this session, really stem from him wanting to make sure that the American public feels like. You don't know what you're going to get from the Supreme Court because this Supreme Court is not based off of who the president has put on. So let's talk about some of the decisions that they've had, right? 
You have McGirt versus Oklahoma. Yeah, and so that was a decision about travel sovereignty. Right. That came out um, a couple days ago or yesterday, I think. Yeah. So, like, the interesting thing about this, the Supreme Court affirmed the travel privileges, and this decision came out earlier this week. In short, an Oklahoma man named Jim C. McGirt was convicted of three serious sexual offenses that occurred on tribal land. But... Since McGirt is a member of a tribe and the crimes took place on the reservation, the Major Crimes Act kind of covered him. And so his argument was, it wasn't that I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. The argument was the state of Oklahoma cannot cannot convict me. Only the tribe can. Right. And so the question here is whether or not the crimes took place on a, a, a reservation. Right. right? And so... Uh, This goes into, like, the Major Crimes Act, and for the purposes of it, land throughout, because of this decision, right? I believe it was a 5-4 decision. Yes, Neil Gorsuch sided with the liberals. liberals. But not even Neil Gorsuch was just the surprise one for us. RBG, Ginsburg, is notoriously terrible with Native rights. She often, in like if you look at her history of voting, has voted not in the interests of Native people and Native populations. And so I was not only surprised by Gorsuch, but I was also surprised by RBG. And so I guess that's why it was so, so surprising to me. But basically, it's saying that land throughout much of eastern Oklahoma is reserved and has been reserved for the Creek Nation since the 19th century and still remains a Native American territory. Because when Oklahoma applied for statehood or however that works, when Congress did not dissolve that treaty. So because Congress never dissolved the treaty when they allowed Oklahoma to be a part of statehood, Gorsuch, who I believe wrote the opinion, said that that's that's native land. And that also includes a large chunk of Tulsa, the second most populous city in Oklahoma, which takes me to, like, this random thought that Tykeen has. <laughs> Did you refer to yourself in third person? This random thought that Tykeen has. <laughs> if that's the case, I think we should look at some litigation for the acts that occurred in 1921 in Tulsa mm. on Black Wall Street because, because they committed an act. Uh, they committed criminal offenses. Who is they? The government okay. committed criminal offenses on Native land. Ugh, I mean, this puts a lot of things into the air. I mean, number one, it is a huge win for Native rights and Native sovereignty. And this treaty that was signed almost 200 years ago, like, y'all have to understand, the United States does not uphold treaties with Native Americans. Facts. It just with like indigenous people of the United States, treaty after treaty after treaty has been broken and broken and broken. And we have just kept it moving. And so like this is not just going to it's not just a court case that's going to say like, oh, hey, this is, you know, this is this one thing. It is going to have serious ramifications. When I say there's going to be a lot of things that come up and down the pipeline as a result of this, because this really, really like affirms that Oklahoma cannot enforce a number of laws against members of, particularly in this context, the Creek Nation, as long as the crime occurred on tribal land. So this is just going to, like, 
And now I'm curious Ooh. to know about the, the Dakota Access Pipeline, right? There's so much that's tied into it. Like, I just get excited thinking about this decision. Yeah, so despite what you may hear Talking Heads say or you may read them say on Twitter, the Supreme Court did not give away half of Oklahoma. <laughs> the decision just affirms that Oklahoma cannot enforce a number of laws against members of Native American mm-hmm. tribes as long as the crime occurred on tribal land. Exactly. Literally, like that needed to be reiterated. So if this is something that's exciting for you or like you're really into this, I really hope that I'm like making all these little SCOTUS babies across the world like really interested in this. But there is another podcast that I I bike into campus when I'm at Stanford. And one of the things that I do that is particularly probably dangerous is I listen to podcasts. And one of the podcasts that I just think is absolutely phenomenal is it's called This Land. It's produced by Crooked Media. It is a fantastic podcast developed by Rebecca Nagel. I believe she is a... She is a member of the Cherokee tribe, but I am, don't quote me on that, but she is an indigenous woman, but she gives a very in-depth look at this case. Like the first eight episodes are just like giving you the whole background, what it could mean, why it's important. And yesterday, a ninth episode came out and I am so excited to listen to this. And so like, if you're just really interested in this, hop onto this land, uh, check out that podcast. But Another court case came down, which came down kind of like not in that was this was a decision I was not personally excited about was Little Sisters of the Poor versus Pennsylvania. Yeah. Matter of fact, didn't Little Sisters of the Poor in Richmond like end? I honestly don't know. I think so. But basically, this is a continuation of the Hobby Lobby case a few years back. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court made it more difficult for women to get access to birth control. Yep. As part of their health plans, if their employer has religious or moral objections to contraceptives. And so growing up and learning about the Supreme Court, we used to always hear that corporations are not people, right? Mm -hmm. A corporation cannot have a religious or moral objection. Now you can have like moral objections to literally everything. I just see this. But a corporation can, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that corporation, this is going to proliferate in wild, wild ways. Moral objections? How can a corporation have a moral objection? But Little Sisters of the Poor is not a corporation. We should also say that. Like, I believe that they are. Um, Non-profit, I think. Uh, Yeah. uh, uh, I think so. Yeah. But they employ people. Basically, is the moral of of that story. And so basically the opinion that came down and it was a seven to two opinion. Right. This was not a split decision. The two liberal justices who sided with the conservative and, quote, swing chief justice were Elena Kagan and Stephen Breyer. And so they did not join the majority opinion, but they also agreed with the conservatives that to send the case back to the lower court. But anyway, it basically says that the Affordable Care Act cannot require insurers or employers to provide free birth control coverage as a part of almost all health care plans, which to me is bananas because when people think about birth control, the only thing they think about is preventing births. <laughs> I think that we might need to rename it because it's also just like preventative, not just preventative care, but it's also just like people need that. Birth control, like 
anybody with endometriosis, like it is debilitating. Right. Birth control really, really allows women to go on about their lives. It is not always about like preventing a pregnancy. There's so many benefits to being on birth control. People use it sometimes to control their acne. There's all sorts of reasons why people are on birth control. And this is now just a service that particularly affects women. And, well, only <laughs> only affects women, but also trans men. But like these people who are now unable to get this care for. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like what I concluded from this is that corporations are people and people are corporations. So um, incorporate your name, y'all. But honestly, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm not joking. Like we're we are corporations and corporations are people like there is no delineation anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, when President Trump, when 45 came into the off, it came into office, basically his administration said from jump, like, they want new rules that give broad exemptions from birth control mandate to nonprofits and some for for-profit companies, which is crazy because they're employers who cover, like, Viagra. I don't, I, like, but don't cover birth control. I don't know. It's just going to make me mad. But it was a 7-2. Guess who wrote for the majority? My favorite justice of all time, Mr. Clarence Thomas, we have a whole episode on, on my feelings about Clarence Thomas. Please refer to episode two if you want to be filled in about that. But he wrote the majority and basically said that this is a reasonable accommodation between church and state. We are not conflating church and state right now, which. So um, Trump taxes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's so, move on. So I'm this is mad. interesting, right? Because. The court ruled in a 72 decision. There are two elements to this. The first element is if Congress should have access to a president's taxes mm -hmm. and Supreme Court ruled no on that. Right. They said it might be overreach. Yes. And then the second element of this, which surprised a lot of people. Oh, yeah. The people, how, how the vote turned out. But it was 72. And this gave access to Trump's taxes his tax returns prior to becoming president to the Southern District of New York, mm -hmm. the prosecutor there. And the reason why it surprised so many people is that Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch voted to give access to his taxes. The two justices who were appointed by Trump. Yeah, exactly. And for a point of clarification, we say access to taxes. Please, no one. Do not expect to see these taxes before Election Day. That's yeah. not happening. They basically said that we're going to be sending this like case back down to the lower courts and allow the lower courts to decide. Yeah. So I know there was a lot of jubilee, but really the biggest thing is we're not going to see those taxes before Election Day. Please do not bank on that. I mean, we may not ever see them unless the Southern District of New York, someone goes rogue and leaks them. I mean, I'm not telling somebody to do that. If any, we have any listeners in the Southern District of New York, you can infer whatever you'd like from from. from, from so that her name statement. is Danielle. Embry. Wow! <laughs> Throw me dead under the bus, but yeah, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Even though these aren't taxes that like we're not going to see it, they surprised us. They had Donald Trump tweeting presidential harassment yesterday. Yeah, he's out of control. <laughs> 
So, like, coming to an end here, you know, at the end of the term, we often start hearing conversations about retirement watch. Yeah. And, of Uh. course, RBG... Bless her heart. Bless her heart. Keep doing your push-ups and your yeah. sit-ups and your running and whatever else that you do. Yeah, Please. N- 90 plus, she's holding on, hoping for a oh. Biden presidency. Oh, absolutely. I think, honestly, had um, Hillary Clinton won, RBG would have stepped down oh, almost immediately. No question. Almost but, immediately. But we're starting to hear now something that I haven't heard before, but uh, retirement watch for Alito and Thomas— And this is the thing. I wonder if it's retirement watch, are they going to retire before Trump? And I mean, I doubt they're going to retire in tandem, right, together. But like, will one of them retire with time for President Trump to replace them? And it's really hard to, to block that from going through, right? Like, that's a decision that's made by the Senate. And our Senate is what, Taiki? Majority. Republican. Exactly. I think that that would go through so, so quickly. And and we know that's how he galvanized his base last time. And I, I don't know, Alito, not my favorite, but I think that he, I don't know if Alito would retire now. I would not be surprised if Thomas retired now. And the reason why is, you know, I, I Googled it and because I wanted to be sure. But Clarence Thomas is the second most conservative judge on the Supreme Court in the history of the Supreme Court of the United States. Yeah. And so I think the thing about Clarence Thomas, I think there are a few moving parts there. Right. I agree. I think this is a way to try to mobilize the base because people see these poll numbers about Trump. right? Oh, yeah. And but I think the other part of it is, you know, like a lot of people, that's how they justify voting for Trump. Like they said, Supreme Court, Supreme Court. He's going to get rid of abortion. He's going to get rid of same sex marriage. Like that's how they try to justify it. The other part of it is Clarence Thomas's wife has like I don't know if you saw her in the newspaper yesterday. No comment. She um, (laughs) she made she wrote a letter to the officials in Clifton, Virginia, that said Black Lives Matter is a Trojan horse for mob rule and cultural revolution. Um, Clarence Thomas's wife is still demanding an apology from Anita Hill. Yeah. So, But because Clifton, Virginia, they have this sign that says, Welcome to Clifton, mm-hmm. where Black Lives Matter. Oh, I love and, it. And, we love and, you, Clifton, Virginia. And she's <laughs> adamantly opposed to this to the sign being there. And, and like, she was on this rampage about like all of the issues with Black Lives Matter. She is the peak of, but I have a black husband, so... <laughs> So are you calling Jenny Thomas a Karen? Um, Okay, so in defense of all of the black Karens out there, I rebuke the use of your name in this way because I feel like there are so many names. What? I I know that there are different levels, but like I really liked Becky. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know too many black Beckys. I know black Karens. Plies ruined Becky. no, Plies did exactly what he was supposed to do with Becky. So I think that... <laughs> you obviously haven't heard that song. I have, oh, I have heard that song. But, you know, I, I don't like using the word Karen, but I would say that she is Karen-esque based on the way that people use it. But I know quite a few black Karens, and so I, I try not to. But yes, I, I would say in the way that you are using it, yes. I just... 
The fact that Mrs. Thomas is still waiting on an apology from Anita Hill lets me know all of the things that I need to know about Jenny Thomas. And so that's why I would not be surprised if Thomas were to retire under Trump in an attempt to squeak in somebody new underneath of him. He is only second to William Rehnquist, who, whose court, the Rehnquist court, right? He was the Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice before John Roberts. Yeah, he passed. He, his court struck down portions of the Violence Against Women's Act of 1994, crippled Roe v. Wade via, I think it's Casey versus something, Mm-hmm. Um, by adding in the undue burden statute. And then in a 5-4 decision written by Justice Rehnquist, the court even shut down the Gun-Free Zones Act of 1990. School zones. Sorry. Gun-free, gun-free school zones. Gun-free school zone. I got excited, so I skipped the word. Gun-free school zones. Basically, the law in question made it a federal crime to have a handgun near or in a school. And basically, the court said that uh, the possession of a handgun is not an economic activity and does not have substantial effect on interstate commerce, right? Like, they, it was this whole roundabout thing where they <laughs> they basically said that, you know, gun-free zone, school zone acts, like, that's not a thing. Oh, goodness. We, to have been on the Rehnquist court must have been. Sandra Day O'Connor, bless you. But, um, yeah, so, like, he is only the second most conservative judge to William Rehnquist. And and they're not far apart if you look at the rankings. So so you and I, we've talked about this offline. But while we're here, we have a Biden presidency mm-hmm. in January 2021. Okay. Who do you want him to appoint to the Supreme Court? Okay, so there's so many people that I want. So Keep it short. Give me three. Oh, God. Um, so I would love Anita Hill to be appointed. I wouldn't want to put Anita Hill in that position to have to be around her abuser. But also, huh, we'd love. The girls love it, using Asia's term. <laughs> uh, I would love to see, ooh, there are people been talking about Eric Holder. I have some issues with Eric Holder and the death penalty and the ways that he he worked with that as uh, as attorney general. But I am gonna go rogue and use what Elliot says all the time. He's always like put Obama up there. Bingo. <laughs> He's like we've had presidents after they have retired be on the Supreme Court. It's not like this is something that's brand new. It's happened before. And the more he says it, the more it makes sense to me. Yeah, it, He's and, a constitutional lawyer. In this climate though, I don't know if Obama gets approved by the Supreme by the Senate. Probably not. But Senate. I I mean, I would be mad. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that Kamala would be a great fit, but I don't think she they'd put her up there. Though. They may say she's a little bit up? too political. I'm not um, sure. Yeah, that she's she's played the hand. And I'd also, you know, I mean, Barack was going to be my first choice. I'd also consider Michelle Obama. I thought about Michelle as well, but I don't even know if Michelle would want to. That's that's my biggest thing. As I I want her to do so many things, but I also want. Michelle to do what Michelle wants. Yeah, to do. because you're supposed to be like pretty, almost in a silo, right? Like yeah. you're supposed to be a jurist forever. But we see that's that's changing some, right? We saw we saw Kavanaugh and the way he acted during his confirmation, and we see the yes. things that Clarence Thomas does 
you know, Clarence Thomas will probably be staying in the Walmart parking lot close to you all in his RV over the next few weeks. Like, <laughs> that's what he does. He drives around. Yes, he does. Around the country in an RV and they stay in Walmart. I don't want lot. that life for Michelle. Like, Mrs. Obama, you saw what happened as soon as Barack got out. She had the legs out, shoulders out. She was she was living her very best life. Changed the hair up, got the curls flowing. Nah, I don't want that reclusive life for, for, for Michelle. Barack can do it. He, he owes us some things. So, I don't know. I think that there's, that's something that we also, as people who are looking to elect Joe Biden, need to be demanding because Donald Trump said he's dropping he said he's dropping a list of Supreme Court nominees before his ele- you know before the election like he did last time and that really made a difference we need to be demanding not just of Joe Biden like who is going to be your VP but who is on your shortlist yeah. what vision do you have for this country yeah well so I've heard through the grapevine off the street committee street committee that Biden has been advised not to drop the list. Now, th- this isn't anything official. Interesting. This isn't official, which tells me that he probably has some people up there that Trump will try to mobilize. Like, oh, what if yeah. he does have Barack Obama on his list? I wouldn't be mad. I'm trying to tell you. And, and, but then Trump is like, y'all can't let him. Right, right, can't, right, like, right. Those people. Like, you do know that, yeah, the— that it rile, the SCOTUS riles up the Republican base in ways that it does not for the liberal base, for the Democratic base. And so I think when we're thinking towards solutions, we're, I know we're always pushing for civic education, but we really need to be pushing like just how important these judges are. It's not just the Supreme Court. Like Trump has appointed, what, 200 judges? Is that 200 or 100? I don't know. Something with two double yeah, zeros at yeah. the end. It's like, it's like 130 federal justices. That's going to have ramifications until, like, I'm 80, right? (laughs) It's really, really going to matter. It's going—he has stacked so many courts for generations. A lot of these courts uh, were—that happened because the Republican-controlled Senate refused to confirm judges underneath President Obama, and so they were playing the long game. But— I think that this is really going to have a ramification for, you know, and so like educating people that when we're voting, we're not just voting for the president. You're not just voting for the Supreme Court. You are voting for people who are going to be nominating and appointing judges all across at the appeals level, at the federal level, at the Virginia state. You know, my uncle, uh, rest his soul, was the uh, Virginia Supreme Court Chief Justice, Leroy Hassell, right? And if I'm, I promise you that people who who we put into office right now really impacts who is put into a position to make serious change for the rest of our lives. Also, you know, funny story. When I was in history class in high school and I opened the textbook and I saw my uncle's face there, that was pretty exciting. I was like, hey, y'all, that's my Uncle Leroy. He's at my house on Christmas. <laughs> Man, so did we eat today? I think we did. I I think that for our next episode, we really need to think a little bit more about our solutions because civic education is really important, but... I think we really need to think about ways that people can like dig their hands in and get engaged. You know, we can recall judges and make this something that can be influential. But I think we did. I I I enjoy talking about the SCOTUS. I don't know if anybody noticed, but I got 
a little bit excitable this episode. It's one of my personal passions. Yeah. MBD, MBD. What do you think we ate? Yeah, you know, I I really thought that we would take some time to talk about that man who claims he's running for president, but he's really not running for president. Mm. Um, mm. But I appreciate that we didn't like that. We didn't give that any energy in it. I any mean, oxygen. Nah, whatever. <sighs> I just hope things smooth out. Anyway, y'all, thanks for listening. Peace.